wasted words in the Gospels. The evangelists write each word by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. They don't get bogged down here and there in pointless details, forgetting the point before getting back into it. So it's not for nothing that Matthew tells us the instructions that the Lord gave his disciples about the doctrine. And tells them that if anyone should ask what they're doing, they're to say, the Lord needs them, and he will send them once. Saints Mark and Luke tell us that's actually what happened. The owners asked what was going on, but they let the animals go. When the disciples simply speak the words Jesus had given to them. You might call it a miracle that the word of the Lord spoken by these two disciples was immediately taken for the truth, and Jesus gets his ride, instead of the disciples being locked up as donkey rustlers or something like that. But if even the demons submit to Jesus, if even the wind and the waves must obey his words, and the dead rise at it would seem like a pretty small miracle to throw in, if that's what it is. It's certainly not that in Matthew's Gospel. He doesn't even tell us the disciples ran into him. Instead, he reminds us that this is part of the fulfillment of what Zechariah the prophet said. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king comes to you, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, on the fold of the beast of burden. The way the disciples use Jesus' words is part and parcel of the king, the son of God coming to the daughter of Zion, which is really the church. Zechariah spoke his prophecy on the one hand to the people of Jerusalem of old. He told them how the king would come so that they would recognize him and sing their hosannas, literally pray that the one who came in the name of the Lord, the one who comes with all of the Lord's promises, would come to save us now. The Lord gave his word to the prophet because it isn't at all obvious that the one who would save them in the truest and greatest sense would come in humble on the donkey. On the day the king rode in, Jerusalem and her daughters had lots of problems. For an occupation, a false, mad king, violence even worse than she's got today, and Zechariah's book speaks of worse, not better. So a savior with some cavalry or heavy artillery and some air support might have been more their idea of what was called for. But Zechariah says, paraphrase, no. Look for the one who rides in humble, mounted on a donkey. In him, God saves you. So in the midst of all else, they see him and they see him. Hosanna, save us now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. This first 
Sunday of Advent, Ad to Lavah, and Palm Sunday remind us these things. It's the only reading from the Gospels in the entire lectionary that comes up twice every year. God and his church know that we need reminding twice a year and more, to be sure, in the midst of all that we face in our day, not to look for the Savior that we think that we need, but to the one God himself has sent, the one who rode into Jerusalem humble on a donkey, the one Zechariah later prophesies who would be sold for 30 pieces of silver and pierced for all to see on the cross. That seems like the worst failure of any plan that anyone could think of, but in the end, our Lord says, I will say, these are my people, and they will say, the Lord is my God. Whatever disaster you fear, whatever salvation you look for, whatever source of life and hope, whatever you hang your future on, and your children's and your children's children's, political or economic or social or cultural or security or health or peace of mind, whatever, God's final answer is always yes and amen in Jesus Christ. Yes and amen in that one who rode into Jerusalem humble on a donkey. That same Jesus who rode in so that he might be betrayed, in order that he might be hung upon the cross for the very people who rejected him. The one who rides into Jerusalem today so that he might die, so that he might make atonement for, that he might make payment, not only for their sins alone, but for the sins of the whole world. So you can forget your college degrees, you can forget your preferred political candidate or preferred political party, you can forget the 9mm of your nightstand, you can forget your constantly reminding your kids to drive safely and to tie and to save before they spin. None of that, no matter how much real good it does do in this world, none of that will be the salvation you might imagine it might be. But this Jesus, this one riding in on a donkey today is more than you will ever imagine. In fact, he is everything God has in store. These twin Sundays of Jesus riding in humble on a donkey are to recapture our attention and our imagination. They are to wake us up and to turn us away from our silly plans of saving ourselves to see where God himself is saving us, and to have him do it. And he is doing it. He is doing it if we would wake up and pay attention. If we would simply pay attention to where he's at. So to take just one example, we all, I think collectively, moan and wail the times that our children are grandchildren face, the fact that their economy, their society, their security, their culture, maybe even their lifespan and health could possibly be worse than ours. What can we do about their living in a culture that seems to be 
losing any sense of human dignity, of the worth of a life and the point of our existence, and anything that could possibly hold a culture together. What can we do? What can we give them hope of to set them on their way to success, or at least on their way to survival in the days and months and years to come? Is it it? What good really? What good is all of this weeping and wailing? What difference does it actually make? Old Jerusalem, this world in our flesh, have all sorts of answers to busy and busy and busy ourselves with as we worry ourselves down, down, down into the dust. Maybe more of the right kind of schooling will fix things. Maybe more money. Maybe more freedom. Maybe more rules. We blame politicians. We blame the ivory towers. We blame the ubiquitous experts for all of our problems and for not finding a way out. But the fact is that we've created these people. In most places in Western civilization, we have created a bureaucratic juggernaut to save us from everything. A juggernaut that, at the end of all things, won't matter a lick, even though it has all the heavy artillery and nuclear submarines and many other things besides. What else is the old Jerusalem to do? Well, the real old Jerusalem at least had the sense to turn out one time to see what God might do in this king who rides in on a donkey. Our old Jerusalem, our world, lacks that sense today, but we not entirely. We lack it some, but Advent comes to remind us we should lack it less. We aren't simply worrying away our days in old Jerusalem, for we shouldn't. God save us from that. The church is the new Jerusalem, our mother, who comes down from above, as St. Paul teaches. That makes us the daughter of Jerusalem, the daughter of Zion, to whom the prophet Zechariah speaks. We should find our king, our savior, humble and riding on the donkey like they did of old. And he will come there, and he will save us, and save us always. The church of old recognized this and left us a reminder in the liturgy. We sing the true old Jerusalem's words as our Lord comes to us each Lord's Day in his Holy Supper. We join together and sing, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. the midst of everything, out of the depths of all that we suffer and worry about, even out of the midst of that greater ill that we don't feel or know as we should, out of the judgment that awaits our real, terrible, and mostly unacknowledged sins, we see him coming and we say, yes, amen, that is the one. 
God, save me. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Have mercy on me. Save me. For centuries, the whole church together as one has cried out these words to greet our Lord Jesus as he comes to us with his body and his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. To give us, even in the valley of the shadow of death, his life and his salvation. We sing, even though this doesn't look like very much to the eye. We sing these words because that's what God has told us, and so it's what we happily know to be true. And it's where our hope from everything comes from. I think this is why St. Matthew makes such a big deal about our Lord's instructions to his disciples to arrange his coming in the way that God had prepared, in the way that God's people should be prepared to receive him. It's not neither here nor there how Jesus gets into Jerusalem, so long as he gets there somehow. He will ride in on a donkey because that's where he is to be looked for where he is to be had and had for sure. So also, Christ sends out his ministers. Go and prepare this. Bring me these things. If anyone gives you a hard time about it, you tell him the Lord says he needs it. And the king comes in humble appearance, yes, but God's people know him and receive their salvation. Hosanna, save us now, O Son of God, O Son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. What's more humble, after all, than a bit of water poured onto a child? Someone who can't even answer the questions asked of him on his own, with only words telling in whose name the thing is being done. We do as our Lord tells us to do, because blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We're baptized into Christ Jesus and are given the Holy Spirit with the forgiveness of all of our sins. And the Father, with life everlasting, and the prayer, our Father who art in heaven, that prayer now, we're baptized for everything that they need, everything that you need, every single day until our Lord comes again for us in power and glory and might. Everything that happens back there is no mere ritual. It's not just a symbol. It's not just us fooling around back there with some water out of the faucet in the kitchen. It's our Lord saving us right now and forever. Hosanna in the highest. Right? So also, when the pastor forgives sins, God does it himself. As our Lord says in John's Gospel, whosoever sins you forgive, they are forgiven and when he gives us his supper, take, hey, eat, take, drink, this is my body and my blood for you, for the forgiveness of your sins. Doesn't look like much against everything that's all around us, does it? Grim death, fearsome devil, troublesome flesh. But look. 
becomes humble. He says, this is how it is going to be. Do this, and if anyone says anything to you, tell him the Lord has said so. So it is. Where else on earth will you be sure your sins are done away with? That God does not count them against you. That God himself, the ruler of heaven and earth, is now on your side and fights for you. Where on earth can you be sure that you already live with a life that cannot die? It is here alone, O daughter of Zion. It is here from this altar, from that font back there, from this altar here. The point of it all is that we, like Jerusalem, should have no doubt should be absolutely sure, should have the salvation God has prepared for us and join its procession out of death through the cross of Jesus Christ to a glorious life that will never end. So what are the sons and daughters of Zion? How will we see to their future? Give them hope. What of you? You know where Jesus is to save. You know what he looks like when he comes to you, even where that happens every single week and week to week to week. Be wise to his coming and make them so as well. God gives you this duty, this promise, parents. Say to the littlest sons and daughters of Zion, Behold, your king comes to you humbly. Say in your homes the word of the psalmist. I was glad when they said to me, Let us go to the house of the Lord. God, forgive us our laziness and fix our hearts here on open altar where true and everlasting joys are to be found. Amen. Now may the peace of God which surpasses understanding keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus for life everlasting. Amen.